invite you to open your Bible with me again this morning to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading at verse 13, and we'll read through 26. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 16 through 26 under the, uh, the, the heading, uh, Realities of the Christian Life. Galatians chapter 5. As we look at the freedom we have in Christ and by the Spirit to grow, to grow in godliness and holiness. Let's begin then at verse 13. Let's hear God's word. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's ask the Lord to bless. God in heaven, this is your word, and it's meant for our edification, our blessing to build us up in faith and, and in godliness, and I pray that your spirit would take this word then and speak it to our heart and encourage us, strengthen us according to it. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Boys and girls, uh, I wonder uh, if you have a bicycle, and uh, I wonder if you remember, if you have a bicycle, boys and girls, do you remember learning how to ride a bicycle? It was, it was a little bit scary, wasn't it? Um, it was uh, probably some falls involved and some maybe banged up knees and, and elbows, but, but aren't you glad you learned how? Uh, aren't, you, aren't you happy now that you know how to ride a bike? Uh, I just was thinking about one of the, uh, back on the farm, one of the, um, one of the great experiences was learning how to ride a bike and having a bike, and then it got even better when we got a motorbike. Uh, 1973 Honda 175, and that thing... Uh, that was a ticket to freedom. I mean, after a long day of, of work, uh, nothing like in a summer evening, uh, climbing on that thing and uh, in, a, in the cool evening, just cruising down country roads, wind in your hair, uh, bugs in your teeth, uh, the, um, the smell of the fields, the, uh, it was absolutely, it was intoxicating. Um, trust me, it was magnificent. And, and, uh, but it comes with, uh, you have to learn how to do it, just like boys and girls learning how to ride a bike. Uh, there are lessons, hard lessons in gravity and gravel that come with uh, learning how to do those things. But once you know how, 
Uh, it is freedom. And uh, in a similar way, one of the most enjoyable experiences of the Christian life is the experience of growing in faith and love by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, sensing the Holy Spirit actually at work in your life. And, and you can sense that Spirit is changing your desires. You're becoming a different person. Paul has just reminded us in verse 13 that we have been set free in Christ and the liberty that we have in Christ is a liberty to love, a liberty to serve other people, that, that we've been um, busted loose from bondage to self, bondage to uh, our own desires, and we are now free to actually care about people and free to serve people, to give to people. That's the freedom that we have, but we have to continue to walk in this. We have to learn how this works. We've got to learn how to ride the bike of our Christian freedom, and that's what Paul's talking about here in verses 16 and following. We're going to first just notice uh, the reality of a battle. So Paul says in, in verses 16 and 17 that we have this great conflict taking place where the desire of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit are in conflict. They are opposed to to one another to keep us from doing what we want to do. It's important that we let uh, remind ourselves and we let new Christians know there's a battle involved here. People can uh, maybe think that to, to come to Christ means uh, you're done with sin. I mean, Paul says actually, right, that we've, we've crucified the flesh. It's dead, done. Well, it's crucified in principle. It is still very active in reality. Uh, and so it's desires. We experience the desires of the flesh. We desire things we should not desire. Um, it's our sinful nature. Flesh, again, not your physical body, but your sinful nature. And it desires things like sexual immorality. It desires hateful revenge. It desires to get its own way, even if it wounds people. It, it is greedy. It covets. It lusts. That's what our flesh does. And we experience it. And the presence and the power of those desires can be disorienting. Because we can begin to think, if I were a real Christian, I would not be experiencing this sort of um, strong passion for things that are, I know are wrong. Uh, people can ask themselves, can I be a, a true Christian and desire Sin the way I desire sin? Well, Paul says, yes, you can. In fact, if you're a true Christian, you're going to experience still the desires of the flesh. I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in the church is we pretend that we're, that, that was not true. Uh, that we um, pretend that we, we've got this thing pretty well figured out. Yes, we sure, we, we maybe struggle with a little thing here or there, but it's not like there's this raging uh, right, beast within that, is, um, that wreaks havoc, right, or that wants to wreak havoc in our life and in other people's lives. It's not like we um, really have issues. Well, it's not true. Uh, and if we don't tell the truth, you see, we're going to have people who are feeling like they're hypocrites because they're just experiencing real Christian life. And we're going to have young people who grew up thinking they must not be Christians because it sure doesn't seem like mom and dad have any sin issues or they're not wrestling with sinful desires, and I'm being swamped by them. Got to tell the truth. Paul uh, wants us to be honest. Uh, there's a battle taking place. We will experience these sinful desires. And it's not evidence that you're not a Christian. Um, the critical question is not, 
Do I have within uh, myself, do I find within me strong desire for sin? That's, that's not the right question. The right question is, do I find along with those strong desires for sin, other desires for good, for godliness, for obedience? Is there, is there something within me that hungers for righteousness? Because that's the evidence, you see, of a Christian. That's the mark of the work of the Holy Spirit. Eric Alexander says uh, this battle is unique to the Christian believer. Far from being a contradiction to his profession, it is a confirmation of it. And so if you have a battle taking place within you, uh, that is a confirmation that you're a Christian. Now, if you don't have a battle taking place within you, if all you have are the desires of the flesh, and you, you really honestly can't say, I hunger for righteousness. I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I, I, I don't want to be a bad person, but do I, do, I, do I really long for God, and do I really want to be godly? No, I can't say that's true. Well, I would just say to you, you're missing something significant. Uh, you, you, need, you need to ask the Lord to do a work in your life. Because Paul says, those who are uh, in Christ, in truth, and if the Holy Spirit is, is, is in your life in truth, well, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a battle. You're going to experience desires for the things of God. There's going to be a battle. And so, so don't, don't settle for something less than biblical Christianity. Well, Paul reminds us what the acts of the flesh are like in verses 19 through 21. Uh, you can uh, group these, uh, John Stott does, in, in categories of sex, religion, society, and self-control. I'm not going to go through them just uh, one by one. I don't think Paul means us to just break down each, each one of these. But he, what he's trying to help us understand is that sin has pervaded all of our life. Uh, sexual sin leads the list as it does in uh, I think every list of sin in, in the Bible begins with sexual sin as it's just a very um, evident, vivid, vile expression of the flesh. We need to be reminded that what our pornographic culture sees as normal and labels as good, God sees, He despises it. He despises sexual immorality in every form and this word means all the forms of sexual immorality he despises it because it's a violation of what he made us to be our bodies were not meant for um, just sexual pleasure and for illicit sexual pleasure our bodies were meant for fidelity and troth faithfulness so um, paul begins just just a mark again and again these people are coming out of a grotesquely perverse culture, as we are, sexual immorality are acts of the flesh. Idolatry and sorcery in, in the realm of religion. Idolatry, of course, is a perversion of the soul, the way that sexual sin is a perversion of the body. Our souls were not meant to bow down and worship to other gods. We're not meant to serve ourselves. We were meant to bow down in the worship of the living God and serve Him. Sorcery uh, is a common practice in Paul's day, an active engagement with evil and the dead. We're seeing rising uh, uh, familiarity in our culture with, with um, Satanism, with just witchcraft. People boast of these things. Uh, they're, they're act, they're our, uh, these are acts of the flesh. The realm of society, our relationships with one another, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, 
dissensions, divisions, envy. These are sins that we commit in our personal relationships, and they, again, are simply the flesh at work. Uh, When you see someone who loses his temper, it's the sinful nature at work, just as much as the person who's in sexual sin. If you see someone who's uh, about dissension, division, strife, well, it's, it's just the sinful nature. We can label it. It's not their personality. It's not just them having a bad day. That is just a sinful nature uh, at play. The realm of self-control, drunkenness, right, involves the loss of self-control because you're inebriated. Um, The orgies that Paul mentions, they're not specifically sexual in nature, though they would involve that, but they would be feasts often associated with the temples uh, where the flesh is just indulged in every way. If you can think of a, a, a Mardi Gras sort of atmosphere where you just sort of let go your inhibitions. Okay, that's the, lock, la, the, uh, the loss of self-control. And again, it's the flesh at work. They are evident, Paul says, acts of the flesh. We don't have to really wrestle with this. Is that a, is that a work of the Spirit or would that be, uh, belongs to the flesh? It's evident. Where, where they come from, what's driving them. And it's helpful for us to say that. Um, I, it's helpful in my own life when, when I'm you know, heading some path to ask, so would that be of the Spirit of God or would that be maybe something else? It's pretty evident um, if, if, if you stop to think about what we're doing or thinking. So um, Paul labels these things. Let's, he just reminds us of these things. Uh, the question is, can Christ, will Christians commit these sins? And, and the answer, of course, is, well, yeah, he just said they will. Right? The, 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 the desires of the flesh are at work, and Christians will, will, will fall into these sins. However, Christians will not remain in these sins. They won't stay there. Paul includes this very stern warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean that if, uh, if you commit one of these sins, that you're in danger of hell? Well, that's not what Paul is saying. Uh, the, the tense of the word that he uses means an, uh, uh, an ongoing, committed, habitual activity. So, Riken says, the word translated, do such things, indicates habitual action, not occasional lapse. So Paul's not talking about Christians who from time to time commit one of these sins against their better judgment. Rather, he's talking about people whose lives are dominated by sin, who are committed to immorality, idolatry, and envy, and the like. All right, so it's, it's not, uh, do, we, do we have these desires, and do we from time to time fall into uh, the sin of them? But, but are we, if, if we're committed to them, if we're not repenting, we're not striving to turn. Paul has a warning for us. Remember, he's, he's talking to Christians here. And he's warning them. Professing Christians can be deceived about these things. I think one of the most tragic uh, recent examples is that of Robbie Zacharias. I think many of you know what's happened there. One of the leading apologists of the Christian faith for years. A man who's been used by God to bring thousands, maybe tens of thousands people, uh, of, of people to the faith. And yet, uh, allegations were made and, a, and an investigation was put together and, and it turns out Ravi was leading a double life. Well, a, a life um, of, of ongoing, committed, illicit relationships, including adultery. No one knew it. 
He hit it, he hit it well, but, it, but it, he, he seems to have been committed to it. It was a habitual pattern of behavior. No evidence of repentance. I, I tell you, we were just talking about this yesterday. I got together at my mom's place, and um, my brother Randy was there, and we were talking about this, and, and Randy, just with trembling uh, in his voice, said, Boy, from my vantage point with cancer, Robbie died of cancer, he says, I cannot fathom how you could face death with all of this sin and, and not repent. How do, how, do you, how do you dare to go into the presence of God like this? Well, that's exactly right. So what happened? Well, Robbie somehow just was, was deceived. Robbie thought it was okay somehow. And if Robbie Zacharias can be deceived, friends, you and I can be deceived. That it's okay to have our pet sins. It's okay to, and, and whatever it might be, it doesn't have to be sexual sin, whatever it might be, where we just, we just pamper it and we, we commit ourselves to it. Well, let Paul's warning cause us all to tremble. Those who do such things, habitually, committedly, without repentance, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter all that you do for God. The warning is real. It's a sobering truth. But the emphasis that, uh, of the text is on the freedom that we have in Christ to walk free of these, uh, of these sins. We, we can actually be transformed. And so Paul reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine items it's uh, listed. And, and uh, I think they can be helpfully broken down into three groups of three. The, the first three, love, joy, and peace in relationship to God. The second three, patience, kindness, goodness in relationship to others. And the final, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in relation to ourselves. Uh, the, the point is that the fruit, it's one fruit, it's not nine fruits. It's one fruit of the Holy Spirit and it's comprehensive. When the Spirit goes to work in your life, He'll go to work in all of your life. He'll, he'll change um, your mind and, and he'll be at work in your desires. He'll be work at your, what you choose, what you do, what you think. The Spirit engages all of you. You'll notice a change in your relationship to God where there's an increasing love for God. There's an increasing uh, joy in the gospel, the message of God's love for you in Jesus Christ. There's an increasing peace. So you're not afraid of death. You're not afraid of judgment. And again, that's a growth process, but, but that's what's going to be happening as the Spirit is at work in your life. You'll find a change in your relationship to others, an increasing patience with people, right? You'll be able to deal with the shortcomings of people because you understand they're just like you. You'll, um, you'll have an, an increasing eagerness to show kindness and grace and generosity even to people who sin against you. That'll be happening. It'll change how you do relationships. The Spirit will be um, changing you yourself. So faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Faithfulness is, is just that wonderful quality you see in old saints where they, uh, they're, they're not sort of darting around in their spirit. They're not immature and, and selfish and self-focused and, and self-driven, but there's this quiet reliability to them. They are who they are by the grace of God. And it's, and it's faithfulness. 
a steady holding on to Christ. It's beautiful. That's what the Spirit does. Gentleness replaces anger and impatience and frustration. Self-control replaces self-will and being ruled by the desire of your flesh. This is what God is committed to doing by the Holy Spirit, a comprehensive change. And that fruit is supernatural. Notice it is the fruit of the Spirit, not of John and Mary and Paul and whatever. It's it's the fruit of the Spirit. This text is saturated with the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to understand that the work of sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift that we receive in our redemption. These are not attributes of naturally nice people or, or just religious people. I mean, if you think of the first three, love, joy, and peace, well, there's no power on, on earth, you see, that can make a, a, a person who, by nature, hates God, now begin to love God and to delight in God and, to, and experience peace with God. There's no method. There's no technique. You can't do it. It's not possible. That's why people are amazed when a um, a known sinner like Paul, who's been persecuting the church, now loves God and loves the church. So what in the world happened to that guy? Well, the Holy Spirit happened to him. And the Holy Spirit wrought this radical change. It's what the Spirit does in every child of God. Sanctification is God's work in our lives, transforming us By the power of the Spirit. Philippians 2.13 It is God who works within you both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. A sanctification, friends, is not the work that we are called to do after we've been saved. It's the work that the Spirit does because we've been saved. Right? So so we often get in our minds, uh, you know, Justification is God's work. Sanctification is my work. Well, no, they're both God's work. Westminster Shorter Catechism 35. Sanctification is a, the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. It's a work of God's free grace. I just want to take a moment and let the truth of that settle upon you. That if God has given you to Christ Jesus, if you belong to Him by faith, God promises to sanctify you just the same way He's promised to justify you. That it will be His work, not in me, but Christ who lives in me. It'll be His work. It's the gift God gives in your redemption. That should do two things to us. The first part, it should make us very humble. If there's anything good in you, anything good in me, it is purely because of the Holy Spirit. If you've been able to say no to a single sin by the power of God, if if there's been some habit in your life that you're breaking free from, uh, it is all the power of God. There, There is no room in the church for anything other than humility. God has been so gracious. But there's it also should produce hope. One of the things that, that causes the most despair in the Christian's life is the, is the ongoing presence of sin. 
But if we understand that sanctification is a, is a work that God promises to do and will do and will accomplish the work that He has begun, He will complete. Well, that is a tremendous source of hope. Um, we are weak sinners still, right? We, we do things we don't want to do. We think and say things we should not think and say. And it grieves our heart. But one day it's going to be done. And you are going to be sanctified perfectly without spot, without blemish, standing in the presence of a holy God and being welcomed because He's made you fit. That's what God promises to you in redemption. That means that we can have confidence that we're going to grow in this life. We're going to grow. I've had people say to me, people don't change. It's not true. I've had Christians say to me, people don't change. It's not true. Not when it comes to children, the children of God. Every true child of God will change. We are being transformed, Paul says, as we look on Christ, made into his likeness and image. It is going to happen, and it is a wonderful source of encouragement. I just want to say, young people, uh, if, if you are just really coming awake to the reality, the power of your sinful flesh in a brand new way, and you're, 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 you're surprised by its power and its presence, I, just, I want to just let you know, you will change. You will grow. The Holy Spirit will help you. He promises to do the work. But it's going to be gradual. You've got to know it's going to be gradual. Fruit doesn't grow overnight. Right? Sanctification is like a little chia pet. You just there. It is a slow process. You have a garden, it takes time. A story is told of Charles Simeon, the English pastor, born back in 1759. But as a young man, gifted man, but he was a, he was a proud man. He was uh, quite full of himself, uh, brash, very self-confident, full of... Uh, and, uh, so he goes and visits an older pastor, Henry Venning, and has a nice visit with Henry Venning. And Venning had had his family out to meet with Charles. They were sitting in the garden. And after Charles Simeon leaves, one of Venning's children says to the older pastor, I, it's hard to believe that man is a Christian, much less a pastor. He is just so arrogant. And, and, and so the... The wiser, older pastor uh, takes his children out in the garden and takes a peach that's growing there, and, uh, and it's not ripe. It's hard, it's, it's dry, it's bitter, green, and he, and he holds it up and he says to his children, now what's wrong with this peach? And they say, well, there's nothing wrong with the peach. It's, you just picked it too quick. It's, it's, it's not ripe yet. And he says, that's exactly how it is with a Christian. You see, that, that peach just needs more time on the vine. It just needs more time on the branch. It just needs more sunlight. It needs, it needs time to grow, time to mature. And that's exactly what we need. We just need more time on the branch, more time basking in the beams of divine love and grace. Uh, and it, it's going to take time. And so when you see things in your life that, you, that, that are bitter and unyielding and, and unpleasant, well, you're not ripe yet. But you're getting there. God is, will get you there. Don't despair at how long it takes. 
Just remain in the branch. What does Jesus say? Abide in me. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the vine. You're the branches. Abide. Remain. And you will bear much fruit. So you see, we do have something to do. And, and, and Paul ends with that. Um, he, he begins really and ends with it. It's, it. The text is bracketed. Walk by the Spirit, verse 16. Keep in step with the Spirit, verse 25. Though sanctification is a work of the Spirit, there's something we must do. Or better said, since sanctification is the work of the Spirit, there's something we must do. We must walk by the Spirit. It is, uh, the verb tense is imperative. It's a command. And it comes with a promise. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The, the way that we grow in the the fruit of the Spirit, the way that we grow is we abide in the Spirit and, and the Spirit helps us to, to put to death the desires of the flesh. Now, notice Paul says you won't gratify the desires. You'll still experience them, though that experience will become less and less over time. You'll experience them, but, but you'll be able by the power of God to not gratify them. You'll say no. No to self, no to selfishness, no to... Uh, everything that belongs to your sinful nature, as we, the old word is mortify the flesh, put to death, therefore, Paul says in Colossians, whatever is earthly, whatever is fleshly, put it to death. But the, but the critical thing he's pointing out here is walk by the Spirit. Now, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, Paul says in verse 25, we'll keep in step with the Spirit. It's a military term. Uh, it, 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 it speaks of a soldier who's uh, in a pl- platoon and they're marching. And, and if you're a soldier in the infantry marching, you've got one job and only one job, keep in step. You don't have to figure out where the platoon is going. You don't have to figure out how long it's going to take there. You don't have to decide the direction. All you are called to do is keep in step with the platoon. And that's the same with the believer. Um, God will direct our lives. God will determine how long this is going to take. Our calling is to keep in step with the Spirit. How do you do that? Well, the simplest explanation would be that uh, we are to be attending to, participating in means of grace. You see, God has, has given us um, particular activities that He promises those activities will be um, used by the Holy Spirit to do the Holy Spirit's work. We call them means of grace. And so there are specific things. It, it's the same with physical activity. You, you go to a trainer and you say, okay, here's, here are, I'm going to give you this list of things to do, and I promise you, you do these things, you're going to see physical transformation. God says, uh, these are things that I promise you the Holy Spirit will work through these activities. What are they? Public worship. We want to be continually, weekly engaged in public worship where we sing songs of praise and worship to God and we hear the word of God and we fellowship with the people of God and we encourage each other and we pray for each other. How many times, isn't it true, you come to church spiritually dead? There's uh, just really no fire. There's no ignition. There, it's just been a long week and you're tired. 
And yet you, you come to church and somewhere along the line, maybe it's a song that was sung or a, a prayer, maybe, maybe it's the message. Maybe there's a conversation with someone after the service. But somewhere along the line, you sense God is talking to me. Now I remember the gospel and I remember who I am and I remember um, what this is about and where I'm going and why it matters. And you become enlivened again. That's exactly what the Spirit does. And He promises to do it. It's a means of grace. Um, reading your Bible, just opening your Bible and, and sitting down and, and meditating on what the Word has to say. Means of grace. Having meaningful times of prayer where you're truly just pouring out your heart to God. It's a means of grace. To walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, it, it means to just then embrace these, these means, these activities where the Spirit promises to meet you. Promises to use these things in your life to make you grow. So that our calling then is to keep in step. Remember, it's going to be gradual growth, but it's going to be real growth. It'll be genuine growth because the Spirit is at work. A great illustration then of what our calling is, if, if you're a gardener, you know that, that gardening is um, two basic things you need to do. You need to weed and you need to feed. That's how things grow. You weed it, you, you give it fertilizer and, and water, and then you, and you do the feeding and the weeding, and God will make it grow. Well, it's the same for the believer. He who began a good work, he's going to continue that good work. We're called to do the weeding and feeding, to, to, to uh, be re removing those things from our life that cause us to stumble, to, to be battling against the flesh, but we battle against the flesh primarily by feeding our soul, by participating in the means of grace, by walking with the Holy Spirit. And friends, we do this because we belong to Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, there's a debate on this. Um, Paul, I'm convinced, is pointing us again to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not so much a command, right? Have crucified. Is a, it's, it's past tense. Something's happened. And he's pointing against, again to the cross of Jesus Christ, where in, in truth, our sinful nature was put to death. It's not been removed, but what is true for certain in principle is that, that uh, Jesus took our flesh and it was nailed to the cross with Christ. Therefore, we can have absolute confidence that this flesh, the, the weak, perverse, slow, filthy, just wicked, slothful part of you, the greedy, envious, idolatrous part of you, its death sentence is, is certain. It's, it's going to give way. Jesus wants us to have a vision for what he's, uh, what he's making of us. As we belong to Jesus Christ and as we abide in Christ, as we walk with the Holy Spirit. Friends, it is astonishing what God intends. The beauty and the honor and the glory that he intends for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in that confidence... Let's go to war against that flesh. Let's walk then by the Spirit, being patient, trusting it's going to take time, but absolutely convinced it's going to happen in all of its fullness by the grace and the power of God. Amen. Oh, Father in heaven, you know our lives and you know all the weakness and all the sin that clings to us. And yet I thank you that because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are assured in Him 
of sanctification, that we will be made holy with a glory that we can't imagine. And that, Lord, Sunday after Sunday as we gather together for worship, you are doing this work by your Holy Spirit, a real work of grace, a real work of transformation. I thank you, Lord, for, uh, for the times that we can look and we can see actual change happening in our life. And Lord, for those who, are, who are right now can't see that, I pray that, they would, uh, that we would be able by, by your Spirit to believe that the work is gradual, but as we abide in Christ, it is true. I pray that none of us would be deceived. And Lord, if, we've been, if we have been deceiving ourselves and thinking that we can um, live comfortably with the, uh, the acts of the flesh, Lord, that you would convict us, and that we would repent and turn again and again, day after day, turn again to Jesus Christ. Lord God, we want to be a church where the, the reality of, of God, the reality of the Holy Spirit is, is being evidenced as we're being transformed. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that all the praise and all the glory goes to you. Amen. Let's con conclude with a, a song, a prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to be doing his work. Let's stand together and sing.
Lord promises these things. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.